0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Curator Conversations here at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. My name is Karen Sherry. I am a curator here at the museum. And I'm delighted to welcome you all to this morning's program, Folk Stories with William and Ann Oppenheimer, which is a real special treat for you all to get to hear from the collectors and leaders in folk art Um, whose visionary collection and leadership in the field is on view here at the museum uh, in an exhibition called Visionary Virginians, the Folk Art Collection of Lillian and Oppenheimer. And before I talk about that collection, I just have a few business matters to go over. First and foremost, I want to thank you all, our members, for your continuing support. Uh, we are a private nonprofit museum, which means we do not get support from the state. Uh, so we very much rely on the support we get from you, uh, among our most loyal patrons, our, our members. So thank you very much for that ongoing support. And I hope that these days you're, you're feeling that support is reaping many rewards. So we've just reopened with a brand new museum and lots of exciting new exhibits, displays, um, interactive family gallery, and lots of other features for you to enjoy at your history museum, at the BMHC. Uh, just to alert you to a couple of upcoming member events. Uh, so please mark them on your calendars um, on July 20th. We have the upcoming Wilkinson Lecture, which is a members only lecture. Um, And uh, this year we are very pleased to have Dr. Joseph Ellis, uh, who will be speaking on the American Revolution on his latest book. Um, So please look on our website and reserve your tickets for that, July 20th. Uh, The second event I wanna tell you about, it's really kind of a one-two punch Um, on August 6th. We have our annual beer t- tasting festival, Ha, and our members get special discounted tickets for that. Um, this year, Ha coincides with the opening of our next special exhibition called Cheers, Virginia. And we're actually featuring today's program. We're filming in the gallery that's currently being transformed for Cheers, Virginia. So um, August 6th for both Ha and the opening of Cheers, Virginia. So, um, bringing you back to this morning in today's program, I'm standing here in the gallery that features the uh, display Visionary Virginians, the Folk Art Collection, and a student, William and M. Oppenheimer. This exhibition includes 20 works of, excuse me, 25 works of art made um, almost exclusively by Virginia folk artists. The only two exceptions are portraits uh, we have of and Willie Lou Oppenheimer by the Tennessee artist Edwin Jeffrey and um, we very much wanted to feature these portraits and depart from our Virginia Criterion for this exhibition. Because I think it really captures something that is particularly special about these collectors in that they are renowned for building relationships with the artists who they collect and you'll hear more about that today uh, once we talk with them. Um, as you've seen from the scan of the gallery, this is an exhibition that really includes a diverse display of folk art in terms of style, in terms of medium, in terms of artistic approach and message. So you'll see um wooden carvings of animals and uh, uh some of the abstractions, you'll see paintings in various styles, or you do from very realistic to more expressionistic styles. You'll see collage, you'll see ceramic works, and so forth. So, if you have not been to the VNHC recently, I hope you will come in to enjoy these works live and in person. For now, um, we're going to do a quick little camera change as I'm going to move into space. Um, and introduce you to William and Anne Oppenheimer and start our conversation with them. So um, come on in.
1: I have had the great privilege and pleasure over the past few
0: months to get to know William and Anne Oppenheimer. They are um, passionate collectors and leaders in the field of folk art. They are also among the warmest, kindest, most passionate, and generous collectors I have had the pleasure to know in my 20-plus in my year museum career. And I'm really delighted to introduce you to them today. Um, Anne Oppenheimer and William, who also goes by Boo Oppenheimer, um, based on a childhood nickname. So thanks to you both for sharing your collection with us and also for um, participating in this conversation today. I know our members are going to really enjoy the opportunity to, get to hear you talk a little bit about your career as collectors and leaders in the field of folk art and also hear some of your kind of behind the scenes uh stories about building your collection and um, your work in the larger field um just a couple of housekeeping notes before we get going um i'm going to start by asking um, Anne and boo a few questions and then we're going to open it up to your questions and comments so if at any point during the conversation you have questions for Ann and Boo, please go ahead and put them into the QA box um, on your screen. And uh, when we get to the QA portion of the conversation, I'll be sure to ask your questions to Ann and Boo. I'll be serving as kind of a moderator at that point. Also, if you have any technical difficulties, um, please go ahead and uh, drop a note in the chat. And um, our showrunner who's kind of behind the scenes of this program will do her best to help you and make sure you're you're online and able to fully participate in today's
2: program. I also want to thank Karen for her wonderful (laughs) job as the curator of this exhibition. I've never worked with a curator so thoughtful and so scholarly and so professional. She's (laughs) done a wonderful job and also so kind and sweet. Oh,
0: well, thank you very much. I guess it's it's a little bit of a love fest here. <laughs> Mutual fan society. Um, so before I launch into my first question with Adam Boo, I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't expand a little bit upon um, their generosity. Um, not only have they made the VNHC, the repository of the archives of the Folk Art Society, of America, and that's an organization we'll hear about a little more. But we at the VMHC have all those archives. So if you're ever interested in doing research on folk art, learning more about the various artists and the activities in the field, um, the VMHC is a primary place in which to do that research, thanks to us having their archives. In addition, um, Ann and Boo have um, promised to leave the, the museum a large portion of their folk art collection, so folk art will be becoming um, a um, major and uh, permanent presence here at the VMHC, which is something um, we are so grateful to your generosity for and really excited to have the opportunity to share that collection and those archives with all of our audiences. So thank you. And if you're not ready, I'd like to launch into um, some of the questions that I have for you both. Um, You have been collecting contemporary folk art and that's folk art made from about 1950 on. Um, You've been collecting um, and since the late 70s together, you've been collecting since the early 1980s. I'm curious to hear a little bit about what first drew you to Folk Art and what continues to drive your collecting 40-plus years after you started.
2: Well, first of all, I started collecting the work of Miles Carpenter, who lived in Waverly, Virginia. It was only a 45-minute drive, and a a couple of friends of mine, we would drive down there probably about once a month just to visit with him, because he was such a charming old man. And we would buy a bird. And the birds are very inexpensive. So we bought a bird or he bought a pig every time we went. And we went many, many times. And we'd take a picnic and just enjoy being with him. So that was the first start of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second big part of it, you can tell.
3: I came on board 41 years ago when we got married and uh, I had no experience with folk art and not a whole lot of experience with art. Uh, My mother had some fancy portraits that passed down through the family and that sort of thing, but that sort of was the end of it, beginning of it or whatever. Anyway, uh,
2: so, we, when we got engaged, I persuaded him to take a class at BCU in contemporary art with Dick Carline. So, that got him involved in art.
3: Now, yeah, that, that was, I had taken one class in drawing um, two years prior to that, but it seemed, and it was once a week on Saturday, but it, it if you wanted somebody to go into labor, it had to be on Saturday when I was supposed to do my
0: <laughs> art class. So
3: it, that didn't work
0: either. I did mention okay. that um, uh, Boo is a retired obstetrician gynecologist and Anne is a retired art history professor. So you can see how getting called into labor might interrupt your classes.
3: <laughs> I, anyway, that's my
0: excuse. <laughs> 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 Then we had heard about Howard Finster. He was quite a
2: famous artist by that time. But we found out that he was going to be on the Johnny Carson show. I was a big, big Johnny Carson fan. He doesn't like to sit up that late at night, but I, <laughs> I don't mind. I do.
3: Anyway, I missed Johnny Carson. And, and when I heard that Howard Finster was going to be there on, the, I think it was a Wednesday. Um, 1983. 1983, I determined we would go down there and check on it and insisted that we buy him her. We ended up buying 50 pieces of Howard Finster's art, <laughs> and stuffed them in the back of the car.
2: A little bit about Howard Finster. He was a self-appointed preacher and had been preaching since he was 16 years old. But he was also did a many many other jobs: electrician, farmer, steel worker, painter, all kinds of different things. He said twenty seven different occupations. He said, but he was had built this garden called Paradise Garden, and it had been written up in magazines and things. So he was getting more and more famous. But who I mean, was he said, in Georgia, right? Yeah, Somerville, Georgia is where he lived. So Wu said he's going to be really famous. And then after he's on Johnny Carson, so we've got to buy him out. <laughs> so we didn't quite buy him out, but we did about 50 pieces of art and mostly small
3: pieces. And we, we say that our life has never been the same after that. He really hasn't. On the way home from Somerville, Georgia, we plotted our course It really has been the course of the rest of our life. That's a lot of years so far. (laughs) Anyway, um, I would designate me as an idea person and I would designate Anne as a doing person. I bring up things to do and she doesn't. (laughs) If it were up to me, it would probably never get done. Anyway, that's not, that's the way it is. And we, I thought it would be a good idea to bring Howard Finster to to Richmond and to the University of Richmond, and she made it work.
2: And uh, then we decided to put on a festival for Howard Finster and got involved with about 200 people around the country through writing and getting them to loan things and getting them information about exhibitions and things. And borrowing. and borrowing optics for the for the exhibition that we had and Howard came and stayed a week with us. So we really got to be close friends for a whole weekend. That's really how Folk Art Society got started, because we were involved with those people that were involved with Howard Fister Folk Art Festival.
0: And um, over the course of your collecting, how did you meet other artists? How did you find um, uh, the works that now make up your really extraordinary collection? Was it more kind of driving around and stopping at roadsides? Was it through contacts you made uh, through your other activities? Was it a combination of all of that?
1: Well, sometimes
2: my students would tell me that they knew of a folk artist and we would go visit or we'd hear from someone else about folk artist anderson johnson is one we found out through a friend Mm -hmm. and he lived in newport news and we have a couple of pieces in the show his self-portrait yeah we'll put it on the screen right
0: now so you
2: can see it both Mm -hmm. anderson johnson he was also a preacher and had a church called faith mission in newport news it was a very small place, but the portable pulpit came from there, and he did preach from that pulpit. Also, the self portrait of him <laughs> is one of your favorites, you said.
3: Yeah, it is one of my favorites. He's <laughs> got on his head. And all that. Anyway, he's a quite guy. Uh, we got to know him very well. Uh, his walls and his Mission were just covered one with another painting of his. We asked him how many paintings he had on the wall. He said, A thousand,
2: two thousand, two <laughs> thousand. <laughs> it sounded a bit like rounded there. No, he said, Oh, I've got two thousand. We do have a funny
1: story about Anderson Johnson. please uh, He was a musician
2: as well as a painter, and he had a band and he made records and he used to be a street preacher who would also sing in order to attract attention to come and buy his work and come and hear his preaching.
1: So he was playing the piano for us and we were
2: videotaping it and there was a knock on the door of the church and this man came in and he said, oh, called him elder johnson elder johnson you've got to come quick mabel was about to die and he said can't you see i'm videotaping <laughs> <laughs> and so the man said she's about to die he said well you go on i'll take care of that later but i'm videotaping so the man went on out and he said she might not even be dead <laughs> of funny things happen
0: to us yeah It's yeah. being
2: friends of the folk artists
0: and that's something that leads me to another question i i wanted to hear your thoughts on um you know i think one thing that does distinguish you as collectors is your commitment to meeting the artists, to getting to know them to learning about their personal story and so forth um do you feel that? That kind of personal connection has been your um, overarching vision or purpose in building your collection? Are there other criteria you consider when seeking out something for your collection?
3: We would uh, try and start the magazine, what turned out to be a magazine. started out as a newsletter. newsletter, maybe a six page newsletter, black and white. It ended up as a 40 page magazine, as we like to say. The Folk Art Messenger. Folk Art Messenger that is full call and uh, it's been a process. Anyway, we, we like to get all the information we can get. So, as we went around the country, I, think, um, I would do a lot of the interviewing. I had been doing interviewing of patients for a lot of years. And Anne didn't really need to take notes, but she could take them in her brain or write them down, whatever key first. And word for word would be accurate, uh, whatever the artist said about anything. And we would establish a story about that artist that we had acquired uh, by driving around the country. And uh, that became a big part of of the Folk Art Society's uh, magazines, Mm -hmm. And also those notes that we took on those
2: trips and our visits with artists, that's a lot of the archives that are in the Virginia Museum of Mm -hmm. History and Culture now.
0: And it's such a valuable and important research. I can (laughs) say that firsthand because I was using those archives in doing my research in preparation for the Visionary Virginians exhibition. And um, it's really remarkable to have that kind of documentary material, photographs, interview notes, um, video recordings, and so forth of these artists, many of whom traditionally operated outside of the mainstream art world. So they didn't necessarily have a museum that was collecting their life story or collecting images of them and um, tracking your works and when it's sold at auction or elsewhere and so forth. So really your archive is a major documentary research on, on the field of folk art. So that's really, really important. And then also um, uh, having gotten to know you and um, also having seen some of the archives, I can imagine you both at those interviews from you know reading the questions, reading the transcripts of the interview. Uh, it's a really, as I say, an invaluable um, uh, document, um, archive, um, uh, of
2: your work in the field of folk art. And also Karen used that information she gathered to put these wonderful little, um, not little, but very nice uh, review of each piece and each artist. So when you go to the exhibit, you can read about the, each piece separately because she's done such wonderful research on those.
0: Thank you and that gives me a nice segue and to the next question, and this is really kind of open ended, because I would love to hear you each talk about a couple of your favorite objects in the exhibition or objects that have. um, interesting or um, engaging stories about the artists or how they came into your collection, so if you want to you know take turns, you can each talk about a couple of your favorite pieces. Well,
3: one of my favorite pieces was uh, <laughs> being left out by <laughs> that uh, <This> brown turkey.
2: You
3: <laughs> get that small turkey <laughs> into the show, and then uh,
2: brown turkey, we call it.
3: <laughs> little brown turkey. And lo and behold, she, this uh, current confessed that it had been one of the favorites
2: of the work people, working people here who get getting the building straight. And she <laughs> called it the fan favorite, which <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah, it was a fan table, t- t- fan favorite of the construction crew. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I, I hope you all get a sense of just how charming this um, carved and painted uh, brown turkey by Miles Carpenter is. It's it's showing on the screen now. And um, I have to confess, I didn't see it on my initial visit to the Oppenheimer's home, which is just chock full of their collection, kind of floor to ceiling, and um, just about any available surface is covered with folk art. And um, I was like a kid in a candy store, <laughs> enjoying their collection. and. Um, uh, I'm very happy, Boo, that you alerted me to my omission of brown <laughs> <from laughs> turkey. Um, and uh, it's one of several works by Miles Carpenter in the exhibition, so you'll get to see that when you come here. Um, and do you have a, a favorite piece or a story you want to tell about one of the objects? The well, room? I wanted to tell about
2: Swan Lake. So, uh, Uncle Jack Day, he was a policeman, retired policeman in Richmond. And we knew about him because of the dealer, Jeff Camp, was one of his dealers. But he wouldn't tell us where he was. So we were never able to visit him. I think he died in 1977. And so we never met him. Always wanted one of his pieces because he did a lot of pieces of Richmond. But one day there was a knock on their door. And this man came to the door and he said, I have a piece, I have a painting by Uncle Jack, and I said, well, how did you get it? He said, well, I was his neighbor, and he gave it to me. I said, well, why do you want to get rid of it? He said, well, I got divorced, and my wife threw it out with the trash, so I went out and got it, and I thought I better do something with it, so I brought it over to you. <laughs> so that's how we required that piece, and we were lucky to get it.
0: Yeah, as you can see from it's on the screen right now, it's uh for those of you who are based in Richmond, you might recognize some of the elements of, of Swan Lake in um in Richmond's Bird Park. Um, I lo- I think what's most distinctive to me is the-, the island in the center of the lake, but then also the little concrete bridge you see at um if you're looking at your screen, it's on the right side of your uh, right side of the pond that's a very kind of distinctive, I think, to, yes, it is to a, it's a real
2: picture of a real of the real yeah, place.
0: Yeah. Um and um, you know, I do have a, a few more questions. Um But I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to be sure to give the audience time to ask their questions. But since we mentioned it um, and we promised some more information would be coming, I'd love to hear you two talk a little bit about the Folk Art Society of America, which is the organization that Anne Embrough founded and Anne serves as the executive director of. You could tell us a little bit about its founding, um, its mission, the work that it does. And um, we can also pull up an image of the Folk Art Messenger, which is the um, the publication of the Folk Art Society that we mentioned earlier. So, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about the society,
3: yeah. back to the origin, uh, we or I decided we should have a little meeting of the Richmond group that might be interested in folk art. So we had. The thing in our living room where we had, I don't know, nine or ten people from Richmond, some of the art teachers at BCU um, and such. Anyway, I, that was the first meeting, I guess you could say. And we said, we, or
1: maybe I said, we ought to have a book art Society of Richmond. And then
3: I went. Maybe Folk Art Society of Virginia. Now let's, let's eventually have Folk Art Society of America. Anyway, before that evening was third we had gone from nowhere to National
2: Organization. And then why we didn't say Folk Art of the World, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I'll put the brakes on that. <laughs> and that was in
1: 1987.
2: And we had our first uh, exhibition. Of the work of Abe Chris. There's a piece in the show. And then also Tom Gordon, the two together. Tom Gordon was on the Virginia Supreme Court, State Supreme Court. And Abe Chris was an artist in Culpit, right on Covenwood Street, on the way to Farmville, on Route 60. And he was a furniture maker before he started making art. He became blind, but he still made art and he could see colors. And he made a lot of figures of animals and people. So who came up with the idea of the title for that show is he has come up with many titles and that was called The Bench for the Supreme Court Judge and The Benchmaker for The Furniture Maker, Abe Chris. So the two of them were quite different in education. Actually, Abe Chris only went to the third grade, and he said, or was it kindergarten? No, believe he went to third grade, and he couldn't, didn't like school, so we went to work on the farm. And of course, Tom Gordon was a lawyer, a trade, but we had some parties. We had some dinners with them together, and boy, Abe Chris could, he could handle anything. He could keep up with Tom Gordon. It was amazing how <laughs> smart he was. And a charming fellow. Yeah. And the week, you have a picture of Yeah, I was showing a
0: picture on the screen. So, and how yeah. about the Tom Gordon? Um, Tom Gordon did,
2: studied at the Virginia Museum. Um, but they said, I'm not going to teach you anything. You go ahead and do what you always do. <laughs> and he worked a lot with pastels, oil pastels. So the picture in the show is James River from the Pony Pasture. So it's a picture of a Virginia scene that he did often. He did a picture of Virginia House and different things like that.
0: Um, Before we open it up to the audience for Q&A, and I want to remind everyone who's watching, please um, put any questions and comments you have for the Oppenheimers into the Q&A box. Um, Back to the Folk Art Society, it was founded in 1987. Um, Would you tell us a little bit about its mission, and then also mention the uh, conferences?
2: Okay. Well, our idea is to promote the work of folk artists and folk art and folk art exhibitions, not only in the United States, but around the world. And we do um, publish the Folk Art Messenger, which comes out three times a year. We've been publishing that for 35 years, and we're on uh, number 106. And we also have a Facebook page, which just recently won second prize in the National Contest of, Press of National Federation of Press Women, just had its contest announced on the 25th of June and one second Congratulations. prize for the me.
0: Congratulations.
2: <laughs> and also honorable mention for three other things. So you know we've done a lot of work on that is we have a web page it's very very active www.folkart.org. You can join the Art Society on the web page and that won uh, second prize in the contest for the state but also we have a conference every year and we're on our 33rd conference. We're missed two years because of COVID, we're not able. So this is the 33rd conference coming up in Charleston, South Carolina in October. And we have people from all over the country. Actually, this year we haven't we already signed up three people from Canada coming. Oh,
1: so that's going to be fun.
2: First time we've had any international visitors to the conference. We generally have a symposium. We invite artists to come and they are coming this year, two are coming to sell their works. And one is also going to speak about our work. We visit artists if we can, we visit collectors. And that's a big draw. People love to go to see collectors homes in the area. We try to also sponsor food, the type of food that people have. We're having Gola food. One day, in this to celebrate the Gullah culture of South Carolina, and we're visiting the penn Center, which is a Gullah center, one of the first um, schools for Black people in the South. So we do this every year, and we have had a wonderful time going to different important places all over the country, and involving different type of artists, different kind of speakers, and different foods and different music so it's been a real profitable and interesting time for us to travel all over the country like this
0: well that um leads us into uh, the audience q a portion and um actually one uh, of the first questions we got in i think will be a nice follow-up to that um somebody asks um Annaboo, if you are still collecting <laughs>
3: i tried to put the brakes on, but they did not work.
2: (laughs) We went to an estate sale just a couple of weeks ago, and Boo said, look, there's a James Earl Jennings as a North Carolina artist over there in the kitchen. So I went over there right away and put down a bid for it and and actually got it. So (laughs) we tried one more, and also there was a piece of uh, Native American pottery there, which we also collect. And so we're able to get that as well. So no, we're- <laughs>
0: That's a yes, we're so cool about it. The brakes didn't work, his
2: daughter said, you all should be deaccessioning. <laughs> we said true, but sometimes we can't help ourselves.
0: And someone asked if there's room in your house to display everything that you have.
2: Oh, no, no. <laughs>
3: And we also so we, we gave like three hundred and seventy five pieces of art to Longwood of the university. And which they actually going? named a gallery we still exist. there Longwood is, is a number number gallery
2: yet. we've got a very
3: nice display of what used to be ourfulright. yeah, so some of our
2: best pieces we' have given away already.
1: <laughs> so that <there laughs> also coming like
2: but... we. Gave, we we collect the work of Jim Harley. There are a whole bunch of those in the show. The big um Great Blue Heron is in the show and some other woodpeckers. Okay. And we've been collecting his work for many years. And uh, he lives in Matthews County. And only the birds that were that he was, was familiar with, the birds of Virginia so there in the show he has five pieces four pieces yeah each.
0: i think we have one that we can pull up on the screen there you go so you can see one of jim harley's carved birds
2: so um, he, he lives so close to us that we would go to see him a lot he's got copd now and he's not making any more art unfortunately but we have we bought so much of his art that we give it we give it to people for presents and for our children be trying to supply them with some folk art over the years. But like other folk arts, he taught himself and he really was a very skilled bird maker. Mm -hmm. uh, He had been a truck driver. Been a truck driver, right. He lives on the water in Matthews County and uh, he really loves to fish. He doesn't do any fish though. That's amazing. But he does (laughs) all the birds. He loves to do the birds. One time we went to the beach, I mean the river, and collected, there was a whole bunch of driftwood, and he puts his birds on stands and puts them on driftwood many times. So we said, oh, these will be really good for Jim. So we
1: gathered up a bunch of driftwood and brought it over to him, and he said, I like to pick my own
2: driftwood. So we wanted to write him up as a folk audience. art messenger, and he said, "No, I don't want to get known." So he never, never has had an article yet.
0: Um, we have one question that's come in: um, What makes something folk art? And this is a little bit of a sort of technical, but also philosophical question. So I'd love to hear you two. Um, give us a working definition of folk
3: art. <laughs> it's art by somebody who has not been to art school, totally untrained, self-taught. It the
2: simplest way to say it. Think. There are a lot of other titles like visionary, but self-taught is kind of like the main one, we think. And outside, <clears throat> outsider art, but we don't like the title outsider art. And the artists don't like it either. Who wants to be outside? But it started out mostly the outside was people in mental institutions or prisons. They were really living outside of society, but it became popular during the Outsider Art Fair in New York, which started over 25 years ago. And I've been to all those exhibits, except the last one, but that became really popular in New York and in Europe, and that term refers back to art brut, which was means raw art, and so that outsider art was developed out of that.
0: Yeah, and um, as um someone who's been in the museum field for a while, I have seen all of these different phrases applied to folk art. And um, I think one of the reason it goes by so many names is that the art is so diverse. Um, the motivations of the artists, the styles and so forth are, are very diverse and um, eclectic. So it's difficult to have you know one category term, um, an umbrella term for all of those different Artists with unique idiosyncratic visions. Um, I think one reason um, that the term folk art is sometimes used because, as Boo said, a lot of the artists are self taught. They didn't go to a formal art academy to have Uh, traditional academic education, many of them were drawing upon folk traditions that had been passed down or practiced for decades and decades. And um, I think some examples in the exhibition that speak to that include um, Norman Amos's um, carved canes, uh, really extraordinary works. We're gonna pull one up on the screen so you can see that. But that speaks to a very long tradition in the Appalachia of carving canes and kind of personalizing them. Um, And Norm Amos was a real master of that. So um, sometimes the term folk art also refers to those kinds of long standing artistic traditions that have been. Especially
2: that proves true with face jugs, Mm -hmm. which is a big art from North Carolina, especially in Georgia. And those people sometimes say, we're a fifth generation potter. And one of the people that's coming, one of the artists coming to the South Carolina conference is a fifth generation basket maker. So she learned from her mother and that mother learned from the grandmother on on and on. So that's where the folk tradition comes. And that's why people
1: don't like that anymore. But still, the Museum of American
2: the American Folk Art Museum in New York has kept their name, and we don't see any reason to change the name of the Folk Art Society just because of that. So, we're continuing with our same name.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: well, another question from our audience, and please continue to add your questions into the Q and A box. But another one that has come in is. Um, well, you mentioned having um, donated um, uh, around 350 works to the Longwood University. Uh, uh, significant portion of your collection will also come to our museum, the VMHC. Um, so, someone is asking why donate to um, the VMHC as a history museum as opposed to an art museum?
3: Because they hated the word culture. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I wanted the same thing. Yeah, and because Jamie Boskett came over and saw our collection and he loved it, mm-hmm. and he convinced Pam Royal, the head of the Board of Trustees, to come over and see her collection, and she loved it. And then somebody named <laughs> <laughs> And so we were happy that they liked it so much, and they took a vote of the Board to have this show. and. Uh, they welcomed their collection, so we were happy.
3: And yeah, I don't think
2: they, or they, were on a limb, uh, they, they all of them, frankly.
3: Just like Walker away is another place called fine arts, and they basically have not had any interest in it uh, except maybe two pieces in the whole place, and uh,
2: until recently. Oh yeah, we didn't tell about that. Well, nowadays, because of one person and one foundation that he founded, folk art, which self-taught art we should say in this case, is going to museums all over the country and even to Europe now. Because of Bill Arnett, who lived in Atlanta, he started collecting southern African-American art, and he went all over the South, limiting it to the South, collecting this art from people who are making things outdoors, making installations outdoors, building things, working on their own, and he made a huge collection.
1: Then he wrote two important books called The Souls Grown Deep, one and two and he did begin to
2: have exhibitions all over the country. Then he died. They turned that into his collection into the So's Grown Deep Foundation. And they first got the Metropolitan Museum to accept
1: the first donation. They did not have to pay. They went down and selected what they wanted, had a
2: big show, but after that, any museum that takes the Souls Grown collection has to pay half of it, not the total value, but half of the value. The Virginia Museum of Fine Arts is one that did have accepted this, the Souls Grown Deep collection, and had a big show. And now there are in more than 30 museums, mainstream fine arts museums that never had folk art before. And this has opened up the whole field. If you're not a museum that's collecting folk art now, you're behind. <laughs> Therefore, this particular
3: museum of history and culture is ahead of the curve. Well, thank you. We like to hear that. And um,
0: you know, I will say that the VMHC, um, even before we changed our name to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture went by Virginia Historical Society, we have long had a collection of traditional paintings and sculpture furniture, um, but we really didn't have a lot of examples of folk art. So I think one of the reasons our president, Jamie Bosquet, Pam Royal, our um, Board of Trustees president, and I and my colleagues were so um, enthralled by your collection and so glad to have the BMHC become its future home is because Um, The Oppenheimer's collection represents aspects of artistic expression of Virginia culture that aren't already well represented in our collection. So it really allows us to um, uh, showcase a whole other range of um, types of art, of artists, and so forth, that are otherwise represented in our collection.
2: And And we're hoping that the Virginia Museum of History and Culture will be a national center now that people can come and study folk art and do research on the archives and see the art itself and be really a part of the national.
0: Indeed, that is our hope as well. And that leads me to another question from one of our audience members. And this might be one that um, I can answer, but please chime in too, Annembu. Someone is asking if the archives of the Fine Arts Society of America, which are on deposit here at the museum, if they are accessible to uh, researchers, if it's accessible online. So I have a two-part question. Um, First, uh, like, All of the other holdings in our archives and library collection, they are accessible to researchers. So you can come into our library and request to see um, any parts of the archive. They're uh, they're kind of well catalogued, so you'll get a finding aid that helps you see what's available. (laughs) There, it's a huge archive, so you you will wanna use the finding aid um, to, to know how to target your research, but you can definitely come to the museum and use that archive um the second part of that question was is it accessible online um the finding aid is accessible online and we will be working to digitize copies of the folk art messenger the publication um, to make that accessible online so um Uh, Right now, to see the bulk of it, you do have to come into the museum, but it is accessible through our library, and we are
2: working to make more of it accessible online. And we're very excited that Jamie Baskig has really promised that he was going to have the Folk Messenger digitized. Everything's got to be online these days. (laughs) So, we're really opposed to not publishing the magazine online. We do put two articles every time on our web page, each time it's published, but we don't digitize the whole thing. And
1: people, people want it, they really do. And we don't, we
2: still like the paper copy and we like to have the real thing holding your hand. But we'll be really happy that it'll all be digitized because this is a history, a really of book art going back to 1987 or even before, because we were about older people and things like that but it really goes back probably
0: 50 years. Yeah. Um, So um, I I want to be sure we get to all the audience questions. Another question we have, we're going to change direction a little bit. Um, Is there an artist or a work of art that, this is a kind of, did it get away? What got away? Is there an artist or work of art that you wish you had purchased, but someone else beat you to it, another collector? (laughs) <laughs> oh. I have a sense of other he's very friendly, but I also know there's probably some competition <laughs> between collectors. Like <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You so, know. do you have a story about a work of art or an artist that got away from you?
2: Well, years ago, when we first started collecting, maybe 1985 or something, the work of Bill Traylor, who lived in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama and he didn't start doing any drawings till he was quite old and he was homeless, lived on the street and people took him in, but still he did small things like about five by seven on just things like old cardboard and things and they were selling for $5,000 and we went to the dealer, we looked at them and everything. We said, well, we have $5,000 for that little big thing. That's true, we really don't want that. But
1: we could see it was good and everything. Well, now these, I guess the
2: biggest price been 200000 something like that. I mean, you know, things have really gone big. So that's like Bruce said, it's like the stock you didn't buy. But we don't buy really for investments we buy because we enjoy it and we want to have a memento maybe of that artist and remember that artist and things like that we're not going into for big sales or anything like that but it's getting up there but we haven't bought any of that kind of things Um
0: well um i have another question here if um we're going to be wrapping up soon so if you have any final questions please uh throw them into the Q&A. Um, one current question we have, uh, and this is for both of you. Have you ever made your own folk art? <laughs> we don't have pictures, but I'd love to hear. <laughs> mine, is, mine is not
1: that good.
2: But <laughs> no, he's and a very good drawer. Boo is a very good drawer. And he's never been to school. So you could count that as folk art. It Doesn't <laughs> look like folk art. It's more <laughs> professional looking
1: yeah um, what I'm
2: out of the category I can't say that I'm self-taught and I can draw <laughs> but and mostly we very well mostly we do photographs
0: yeah if any of you were here at our um, opening events you probably saw Ann and Boo stationed in the galleries and they both had cameras slung around their neck they're constantly documenting Um, the world of folk art, which includes exhibition openings. (laughs) Um, I can attest to to the fact that they're wonderful photographers,
2: too. (laughs) Um,
0: So in in addition to drawing, and do you make any folk art yourself?
2: I can't make folk art. I'm not self-taught.
0: Okay. (laughs) Did you study art then? Did you take studio Uh art classes? Oh, okay.
2: Well, you have to study. I have a master's in in uh, art history, but you still only have to take some uh, studio places, which I did, but I've not always done art since I was a child.
0: Um, Let me just double check that um, I didn't miss any questions from our audience members. I
1: think we got everything. I hope the audience will come over and look at our portrait show. Oh, your portraits in the in the show,
0: you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we um, we showed them in in my introductory remarks when we were scanning through the galleries. Yes, you're um, well. You will easily recognize those portraits even if you missed that portion of the show because um, they very aptly capture our special guests today. Um, all right. Well, I think um, since. There do not seem to be any more questions and we're coming up on time here. I'm going to close up the program. Um, First and foremost, I want to thank Anne and Boo, not just for their generosity in sharing their collection with us, but for also joining us this morning to share their really engaging and entertaining stories about their long career as collectors, as leaders in the field of folk art. So thank you both for coming in today and speaking with us. Thank thank you for letting us go. We thoroughly enjoyed it. My pleasure. Um, I want to also thank you all out in the audience for joining us and, again, for your membership and your continuing support of everything you do here at the BMHC. I will leave you with a quick reminder of uh, two of our upcoming programs um, uh, that um, include the exclusive membership lecture of our wilkinson lecture on july 20th when um, dr joseph ellis will be speaking about his latest book on the american revolution and then also august 6th um, the opening of the uh cheers virginia exhibition and we're sitting in the gallery that's being transformed into that exhibition right now um, in addition to that exhibition opening we have our annual beer t- tasting festival Haha. And members get discounted tickets for that. So the Fourth of July. Yes, um, this isn't a members-only event. This is open to everybody. But next week, Monday at I believe it's ten thirty. Is that correct? We have our new citizenship ceremony. Um, this is something that we organize with um, uh, the, the government, and um, we have an official swearing-in ceremony for some of the newest. Um, American citizens from Virginia. It's always, if you haven't been there before, please come and join us on July 1st. It's a really big ceremony. There are lots of other events. I I haven't listed them all, but you can certainly see them on our calendar, um, on our website, virginiahistory.org. So
1: thank you again.
0: And it's always a pleasure talking with you. Please come back to the VMHC visit often, um, not just to see visionary Virginians, the display of some of the, Virginia highlights from the Oppenheimer's collection, but also all of the other um, new offerings that are on view at the reopened, reimagined um, BMHC, your history museum. So thank you again and have a good day, everyone. So
2: <laughs> yeah. We're really opposed to not publishing the magazine online. We do put two articles every time on our webpage, each time it's published, but we don't digitize the whole thing and people, people want it, they really do. And we don't, we still like the paper copy and we like to have the real thing holding in your hand. But <laughs> we'll be really happy that it'll all be digitized because this is a history, a really, of book art going back to 1987 or even before, because we wrote about older people and things like that. But it really goes back probably 50 years. Yeah. Um, so
0: um i I want to be sure we get to all the audience questions another question we have we're going to change direction a little bit um is there an artist or a work of art that this is a kind of did it get away what got away is there an artist or work of art that you wish you had purchased but someone else beat you to it another collector (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. I mean, have a sense of other he's very friendly, but I also know there's probably some competition between collectors. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: Yeah. So, do you have a story about a work of art or an artist that got away from you?
2: Well, years ago, when we first started collecting, maybe 1985 or something, the work of Bill Traylor, who lived in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, and he didn't start doing any drawings till he was quite old and he was homeless, lived on the street, and people took him in. But still, he did small things like about five by seven on just things like old cardboard and things. And they were selling for $5,000. And we went to the dealer, we looked at them and everything. We said, well, We had $5,000 for that little bitty thing. That's true, we really don't want that. But we could see it was good and everything. Well, now these, I guess the biggest price been $200,000, something like that. I mean, you know, things have really gotten big. So that's like Bruce said, it's like the stock you didn't buy. But we don't buy really for investments. We buy because we enjoy it and we want to have memento maybe of that artist and remember that artist and things like that we're not going into for big sales or anything like that but it's getting up there but we haven't bought any of that kind of things
0: um well um i have another question here if um we're going to be wrapping up soon so if you have any final questions please uh throw them into the q a um one current question we have uh, and this is for both of you. Have you ever made your own folk art? <laughs> we don't have pictures, but I'd love to hear. <laughs> mine is,
1: mine is not
2: that good. You no, know, but <laughs> he's he a very good drawer. Boo is a very good drawer, and he's never been to school, so you could count that as folk art. It doesn't look like folk art. It's more professional looking.
1: Yeah, um, what I'm out draw. of
2: category. I can't say that I'm self-taught. And I'm, I can (laughs) go, but mostly we very around, mostly we do photographs.
0: Yeah, if any of you were here at our um, opening events, you probably saw Ann and Boo stationed in the galleries and they both had cameras slung around their neck, they're constantly documenting. Um, the world of folk art, which includes exhibition openings. (laughs) Um, I can attest to to the fact that they're wonderful photographers, too. (laughs) Um, So in in addition to drawing, and do you make any folk art yourself?
2: I can't make folk art. I'm not self-taught. Okay.
0: (laughs) Did you study art then? Did you take studio art classes? Oh, okay.
2: Well, you have to study. I have a master's in. In uh, art history, but you still only have to take some uh, studio places, which I did, but I've always done art since I was a child.
0: Um, let me just double check that um, I didn't miss any questions from
1: our audience members. I think we got everything. I hope the audience will come over and look at our portrait show. Oh, your portraits. In the, in the show, you mean?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. We um, we showed them in, in my introductory remarks when we were scanning through the galleries. Yes, you're, um, well, you will easily recognize those portraits even if you missed that portion of the show because um, they very aptly capture our special guests today. Um, all right, well, I think um, since, There do not seem to be any more questions and we're coming up on time here. I'm going to close up the program. Um, First and foremost, I want to thank Anne and Boo, not just for their generosity in sharing their collection with us, but for also joining us this morning to share their really engaging and entertaining stories about their long career as collectors, as leaders in the field of folk art. So thank you both for coming in today and speaking with us. And thank, I, thank you for letting us come. We thoroughly enjoyed it. My pleasure. Um, I want to also thank you all out in the audience for joining us and again for your membership and your continuing support of everything you do here at the BMHC. I will leave you with a quick reminder of uh, two of our upcoming programs um, uh, that um, include the exclusive membership lecture of our Wilkinson lecture on July 20th when um, Dr. Joseph Ellis will be speaking about his latest book on the American Revolution. And then also August 6th, um, the opening of the uh, Cheers Virginia exhibition and we're sitting in the gallery that's being transformed into that exhibition right now. Um, in addition to that exhibition opening, we have our annual beer t- tasting festival, Bruhaha, and members get discounted tickets for that. So, the Fourth of July. Yes, um, this isn't a members-only event. This is open to everybody. But next week, Monday at I believe it's ten thirty. Is that correct? We have our new citizenship ceremony. Um, this is something that we organize with um, uh, the, the government, and um, we have an official swearing-in ceremony for some of the newest um American citizens from Virginia it's always if you haven't been there before please come and join us on July 1st it's a really big ceremony there are lots of other events I I haven't listed them all but you can certainly see them on our calendar um on our website virginiahistory.org. so thank you again and it's always a pleasure talking with you please come back to the VMHC visit often um not just to see visionary Virginians the display of some of the Virginia highlights from the Oppenheimer's collection, but also all of the other um, new offerings that are on view at the reopened, reimagined VMHC um, Your History Museum. So thank you again and have a good day, everyone.